Hey everybody, it's time for Shop Talk Show, episode number 217, where we're going to be talking with some of the folks behind The Marshall Project. That's themarshallproject.org. It's a, a non-profit journalism site. It's a site about the news all around the criminal justice system. It's a beautiful looking site, both inside and out, as we'll learn later. Uh, uh, and we get to learn all about the CMS and the design and the motivation behind the project. It's worth checking out and it's worth hearing our conversation with these folks. So at the top of the show, let me mention our sponsors, one of which is a product we've mentioned before for WordPress called WP Migrate DB Pro, which is a way to copy your WordPress database and keep them in sync between live and local sites. It's really wonderful. I use it all the time. They just dropped a, a version 1.6, which has a beautiful new UI, and it can be used with the WordPress CLI add-on, the command line interface for it, uh, which is pretty useful. And CodePen, I actually just redesigned the codepen.io slash pro page. You can check out all of the features that unlock the true power of CodePen at codepen.io slash pro. For now, Mr. Dave, let's kick things off. Hey there, Shopping Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about front end web design and development and making websites. I'm Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Hey, hey, hey. We have a special show for you. As you know, on Shop Talk Show, we've been having multiple guests on to talk to us about different things. And this week, we're going to do exactly that. We have three guests that I'll introduce in a moment. They're from something called The Marshall Project, which hopefully some of you have seen. And for those of you who haven't, you can go check it out at themarshallproject.org. And we're going to talk to them. We don't do this nearly enough at Chap Talk Show is talk to people about something that they build. You know, like, let's talk about the thing that you build. And we have some of the important makers of this particular project with us right now. They are uh, Ivar Vong. Hi. Hello. Hey, so you are, and maybe we'll just we'll just introduce all three of you, and then we'll get into uh, what the Marshall Project is and what your role is there. Gabriel Dance, hello. Hi. Hey, and, and Andy Rossback, all three of you joining us. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Oh, you sound good. Um, Ivar, I met you at um, a thing called the Society for News Design, which is this organize, organization that, as so many things in my life recently is, is at the intersection of journalism and design and journalism and technology. It's, uh, uh, we are... We are at their annual workshop in San Francisco, and uh, you were there as well. And you c- came and hung out at our at our CodePen meetup thing we had there, and then and then later that evening, uh, won something big from the Society for News Design. Right. So what? I mean, maybe maybe whoever's most into it or has the best kind of uh, pitch for it. So for the Shop Talk Show audience that may not be aware, give us the explanation for what the Marshall Project is. This is Gabriel. So the Marshall Project is a nonprofit, nonpartisan investigative newsroom, and we are focused solely on the U.S. criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. So for people familiar with nonprofit journalism, there are shops like ProPublica or Reveal, um, and we are similar in nature to them in that we're fun, we're fundraiser driven. 
but we are different in that we cover just one specific topic. Yeah, that's 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 fairly unique. So it's it's non it's nonprofit journalism in that you you know, you'd go to the Marshall Project to to read news about a subject like you would any other news any site, other news right? Site, right? That's right. Yeah, and and it, but it, it feels a lot different when you get there because it feels almost like feels like amazingly designed and and like clutter. Like well, I think, feel when you go there, you're like something's amazing about this, but I'm not sure what it is. And what it might be is the like the the lack of like ads for the new Minions movie and stuff. <laughs> right. That's what I was gonna say. It's the lack of advertising that strikes most people as refreshing. Uh huh. Yeah, it it is quite refreshing, and so and so. Who are the 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 readers of this? Is there is there is there people out there that are like specifically interested in in reading these types of stories, or do you find that people just people pop in because of a you know come from somewhere else, or you know like who is this for? Well, that's a good question. Who's this for? It's pretty broad, and that gets into some of our mission. Our mission is focused around making criminal justice a topic that is relevant and spoken about, certainly in the context of the upcoming election, but also in the context of everybody's daily life. It's amazing the number of people who are connected to the criminal justice system, whether they know it or not. Mm -hmm. It's a multi-billion dollar operation that the federal and state governments run. There's over 2.2 million people currently incarcerated, whether it be in state or federal prison, also in jails. Um, 2.2 so million, million people in jail. Over 2.2, yes. Yeah. In jail and prison. And so it's certainly for some of that audience. It's obviously not specifically tailored to people in jail and prison, as most of the time they don't have access to the Internet and we're a digital-only publication. Um, but it's very suited towards legal advocacy and academics that are focused on criminal justice. And then we also do really broad national stories. Um, our most recent one that actually won a Pulitzer Prize is titled An Unbelievable Story About Rape. It's about a woman in Washington State who went to the authorities saying she was raped, then recanted, and then the long story where it ultimately turns out that she was raped and the cops didn't believe her. And so as a result of that, you know, we, we, there was a This American Life podcast and a lot of energy and discussion around not only rape, but how people respond in traumatic situations and how there's not a right or wrong. And so we, we, we really aim broadly because we're trying to make criminal justice foremost topic of people's minds this year, and especially because we're in an election year. Um, but we also do some very specific niche policy-oriented stories that mostly land with scholars, academics, advocates. Mm -hmm. So there, it's you know it it functions like a newsroom, right? There's a bunch of there's editors and and writers and reporters, and you find these stories, figure out which ones you want to tell. Like, how did this an unbelievable story about rape come to be? So, so first of all, it is like a newsroom, but I think what we'll get in, it is a newsroom, and 
it's actually unlike most other newsrooms in that Ivar and Andy, who are tech and design, both are on the editorial side. So they report to me. I'm a managing editor. My boss is Bill Keller. He's the executive editor. And that's a little different than most other journalism shops, which are set up as tech being kind of the third leg. So you have the business side, which in most places sells advertising, does stuff like that. For us, they do fundraising. Um, you have the editorial side, who's responsible for the content. And then you have tech slash product, which often might report to business. They might be their own part of the institution. But here we decided it made a lot more sense, A, because we're small, B, because of the specific people that Andy and Ivar are, um, to align them under editorial. Other than that, the newsroom operates just like any other newsroom. So as I said, Bill Keller, who ran the New York Times for about eight years and worked there for around 30, is the editor-in-chief. Myself and Kirsten Danis are managing editors. Both of our backgrounds are at The Times, The Guardian, The Wall Street Journal. So it's a very traditional newsroom in how we approach investigative stories on how we do reporting and how we do um, the daily news. But when it comes to our product and our tech, we are much closer to an agile startup type institution than somewhere like the New York Times or the Guardian, where they have these much larger, heavier, more expensive business and tech operations. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's part of what's different. Is is the internal structure? Is that who reports to who is 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 slightly unusual? So so Ivar and Andy, you both report to 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 Gabriel rather than some boss of technology who's just like I don't know the the CMS master or whatever. Your your decisions are like what serves the content better. Do you like that structure? Yeah, I wonder if that we should change my title to CMS master. <laughs> um, I mean, part of what's what's really fun about uh, having tech and design and product and all that within um, the structure that Gabriel's talking about is it is it lets us build um, CMS front of the website, all these you know very kind of nitty gritty things, um, like very well aligned with the editorial um, goals, right? And that gets all the way down. This is a technical audience, right? That gets all the way down to like how do we build static graphics locally and deploy them to the CMS with minimum friction? Like stuff where if you don't have the right kind of resource alignment, maybe you don't end up building those tools and you can still do graphics, but you end up, you know, you don't have the same kind of processes um, as when you have alignment between um, technology and, and storytelling. And so I see a lot of what I do here as trying to build the infrastructure to allow us to do the highest level um, interactive and visual storytelling that we can, and and as you know, everyone here knows, like technology can be incredibly um, powerful at, at at letting people do that. Um, but I think in in some cases, journalism is not in a great job at at getting kind of the right alignment between those different teams. Um, so our solution, because we're so small, is to just embed them. Um, this is like a pretty common problem for most 
journalism outlets, right? It, it, you have the kind of the old waterfall method of like, I wrote the story. Now you make the art for the story. And then this person hits the publish button. Now it's kind of, you're, you're building in like collaboration. And, and it, I, I've heard stories where, you know, somebody will, they'll punt on like a data visualization just because they don't, the person doing data is in a different building or whatever. And, and now you've kind of tightened that loop and you're able to like create, I'm, I'm digging through content and, and you're able to create very engaging and, and informative stories. And I, do you see this as kind of the future of newsrooms? I don't know that I get to speak to the future of newsrooms, but um, I can give a, a huge amount of credit to to Gabe, who's you know in that process. It's not like, hey, let's do a story. Okay, we've worked on a story for three months. Let's like now give it to graphics to figure out. Um, I think the best work happens when all those stakeholders are involved at the beginning. So to have a, a managing editor who is clearly involved at the beginning of everything. Um, Who's you know had a long uh, history of, of making award-winning and incredible graphics um, and interactives that that goes a long way to to both what stories you assign and also how they're crafted as they're being developed um, with those things in mind, not just kind of being um, serviced by a graphics or video desk at the end. The other thing, like that, that's very thoughtful of you, Bar. And that is something that I think the future of newsrooms and most newsrooms are moving forward to already, which is integrating graphics, visual storytelling, whether that be video, photography, maps, etc. Um, at the outset, what I think is really amazing about what Ivar and Andy have done, and part of the reason why our content management system is named Enderon, is that in working... I, so I started out at the New York Times. I spent times at the Guardian. And, and what that really means is I very closely dated both of their content management systems, right? And those relationships were interesting. But the thing is, we, we would spend a lot of time in those relationships. And, and what I mean by that is producing stories, whether they be low investment stories, which is to say pretty much just a written article, which most content management systems are very well designed to do, um, or the more ambitious, innovative storytelling. We were always spending a lot of time working with the content management system. And so that's the kind of overhead that I think you were alluding to where it's like, you know, we're not going to do some really interesting advanced approach to this because it's so damn hard to do in the content management system. Like we're constantly having to either build on a new tool or, or go around it to make, make an end run around it in order to do this, this wonderful, ambitious, creative idea we have. And so that idea gets beat down because, oh, you can't actually do that on the website and you can't move that and there's no real way to do this. And so when we had this opportunity and I had somebody like Ivar who has deep experience and interest in, in creating journalism tools that are really tightly coupled with the goals of storytelling, we had this opportunity to build something that really reduces the overhead to creating both you know, the same kind of mean potatoes daily stories, but also these more ambitious lips. We don't have to worry about 
whether we're going to have to fight the content management system to do it. We worry about whether or not we can actually do the story we want to do. This, this, I think this point is going to resonate with some uh, shop talk show listeners. This, this is just a lot of the type of people listen to the show probably work with CMSs every day and think about them and manage them and deal with them. And there's certainly people that generally fall into the camp of, you know, I, why would you ever build a CMS? There's so many good ones these days. They're all so customizable. That seems like a waste of time. And people more like you, they're like, why would you ever uh, use a pre-existing solution when it's so fundamentally important to to how we operate that having kind of full control over everything uh, is absolutely the way to go. Do you think those two things are at odds? No, I mean, I think it depends just like what the organization's values are and what they want to invest in. I mean, I, I ran a big WordPress CMS at my last job and I love WordPress. Like it's a really good tool. It's like the printing press of the internet. I, I doubt I made that up. I'm sure I found that from somebody else, but that's good. Like it's, it's amazing. It enabled like, a quarter of the internet to exist. Um, I think where you have trouble with with tools out of the box like that is you have to eventually get them to some middle point between what you really want and what they do, right? Like plugins are great, all this stuff is great, but um, you know, you guys knowing how to build software, like you understand, you you don't really just like stack Lego blocks on top of each other. Like I wish that's what programming was. But um, the, the guts of it are much more nuanced than that when you want to have the kind of um, experiences that, that we want to have. Um, so we, we really try to let the code follow um, the product goals. And I think that it's, it's easier to achieve that when you, when you start from a place of, like, uh, of complete control over that um, rather than trying to take an existing huge code base and move it toward what you want. Um, I, I usually don't think of Endrun as a CMS because it does so much stuff that is like not a CMS. Um, I also don't really know what the word CMS means <laughs> anymore. Um, you know, we send like daily analytics reports, right? Like that's not really a CMS thing. But if you start building like a, a cluster of microservices to do all of that stuff, you, you end up with, with a big mess with a team of three, right? And so there's actually a huge amount of value in creating a monolith um, to service like the organization. Um, we have tools that ingest links that, that then feed into our daily email. Um, we have a thing that edits posts, obviously. We have graphics. like We have all this stuff that is kind of like the ecosystem of how um, our company is like manifested in code. And that is the CMS, and it's also more than the CMS. Um, um, yeah. by, having, you know, by having control over that and being able to think about it like how do we design this this piece of software, which is essentially like defining what our internal processes are? Um, it's a lot easier to do that when you you kind of when you have powerful tools. And it's not that like Drupal and WordPress aren't powerful; it's just they aren't the same kind of powerful as Rails and RSpec and Sidekick and you know like continuous integration and like all this stuff that the ecosystem around Ruby and Rails is so strong because of startups that there isn't the same thing. And I'm sure I'll get a bunch of links if when people disagree. But <laughs> like for me personally, like that there isn't quite the same ecosystem around off-the-shelf CMS um, platforms. So when you so end run is what it's called, like 
like the 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 dictionary definition is an attempt by the ball carrier to run around the defensive line, basically skip the defense, which is a it's a nice. Well, you I mean, there's a lot of newsrooms that do like projects dot you know thing dot com or they use iframes, and there's nothing wrong with subdomains or iframes, but I think often that's kind of avoiding dealing with your CMS, right? Um, so so Endrun is is a you know pretty obvious joke about that. Um, but it gets to what we're trying to do, I think, which is like if you actually took on that problem and you tried to build a piece of software that 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 could do those things, like what would that be? And so that's you know that's what we're doing. And there's definitely huge downsides to that. One, it's like complicated and hard, but it's also complicated and hard to try to integrate a bunch of different services. Oh, it's just a different, complicated, and hard. See, I'm sure when you log into it, and I'm sure and play with it like you do every single day, it just couldn't be more obvious to you that this isn't a a customized version of WordPress isn't going to get you here. This was something that you built to operate your business, and it's you know like the word CMS doesn't even fit. I, I think that's that's fascinating, and it's probably not. I mean, maybe it's, are you thinking about open sourcing it or not? It's, it almost seems like one of those things like it's not open source because it's so specific to our team and what we do that it's not even particularly valuable open source, or is it open source? There are pieces of it that we've shared, but but you're exactly right. Like, if someone wanted to, like, create a direct competitor to the Marshall Project, like the Thurgood Project, and they wanted to, like, do the exact same thing, um, then maybe it would be useful to them, but, like, it's really a manifestation of what the company is trying to do. Um, are there extractable pieces? Like totally. Um, and to your point about WordPress, like I think you could create and run on WordPress. I think it would just take a lot longer. Um, we have one developer, me, one designer, Andy, who does all the front end engineering, and and Gabriel, who is effectively like the product owner. Um, Very small. That's as small as it gets for a team, really. Yeah, I mean, the tools that you choose, obviously, have a huge outcome on the, the effectiveness and the velocity of, of what you can build. Um, but there's nothing that WordPress is preventing you from doing. It's just, um, it's suited for a different class of task, I would say. So as the, as the tech person, Ivar, were you, are, you, are you interested in this from the tech problem and how tech integrates into the rest of this? And it could have been about any other news topic or are you kind of into the this criminal justice news thing too you know I, I don't mean to trap you into the thing you don't want to tell your boss you're not into the topic but you know I have like I've like guys that work on databases and they're like I don't really care where I work I, I I'm interested in you know it's put data in get data out doesn't matter I'm interested in the tech not the what the data is well I have an answer for you right so like I studied math in college and halfway through college I started doing photojournalism and I was like mildly successful at that. Um, and I, I took a job in Eugene supporting the business side of the student newspaper. Um, and I kept shooting photos. And like, if I could do anything, I would probably just like shoot photos, but that's pretty hard to do. Um, the thing that I love about my last job and about this job is like building storytelling tools is like incredible. Like, there's so much you can do with technology to empower good storytelling. Um, and so when I ta- started talking to Gabe about this job, and I read um, The Devil in the Grove, which was pretty much like the entrance book for everyone here, I think, um, I was just totally struck by how little I knew about criminal justice and how like profound the things that we do in this country are. Um, and we could talk about that for another five hours. 
but um, I, you know, I didn't really deal with a lot of the issues in the criminal justice system um, growing up, and I'm very fortunate for that. Uh, but but reading that book and, and starting to learn more about um, what the Marshall Project was going to try to do, I was you know super motivated to go and apply um, the kind of stuff we're talking about to like a really worthwhile, incredible um, goal. So, right, awesome. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by WP Migrate DB Pro. It's a WordPress plugin brought to you by the fine folks at Delicious Brains. It is one of my all-time favorite WordPress plugins ever. It's on every single one of my WordPress sites. And just before, I, did, I even, didn't even know I was going to be uh, uh, doing this sponsorship spot right now. Just a couple of hours ago, I renewed my uh, developer license for this plugin because I absolutely love it and find it mandatory. It's for syncing WordPress instances between live and local. So let's say you're plugging away local, but you know you're the live version of your site. You've been blogging away, publishing stuff, uploading media, doing all the stuff that you do on a production site. Now your local copy is kind of out of date. You know it doesn't have the latest stuff, and you want the latest stuff locally. This is one of the use cases for it. You just like go to the plugin, and you're just like, oh, grab all the stuff from from live and put it local, which is sucky and fiddly and hard to do otherwise. It just makes it a couple of clicks away. You've heard us talking about it before. Maybe you've even used it. If it's been a while since you've used it, version 1.6 just dropped, which is has all new UI, which is lovely. It's just kind of been redesigned and looks better and... Uh, works better and stuff. So uh, that's pretty great. Use it on here on the Shop Talk Show site and on the CodePen blog and on CSS Tricks just to, to keep those things up to date. Something that kind of sucks to do otherwise. I am so happy that I have this plugin to do those things for me. Super popular question that we've been asked here on Shop Talk Show many times. How do you manage it? Well, this is how we manage it with this plugin. WP Migrate DB Pro. Follow the link in the show notes. Is it so? It's kind of a combination of, of I'm, I need to. De, we're going to kind of design this article, and what can we do to serve the storytelling that's happening in this article? And how does it adhere with the rest of the? You know, do you have like a, a style guide kind of thing? Is it is is it both of those things at once? Like fitting into a system as well as doing unique bespoke things for right? Yeah, that's a that's a. Uh, that's an interesting um, balance. So I do both product design and editorial design. So um, thinking about product and the, the article template, the experience, the homepage, the menus. I mean, that goes all the way to like the donate page and the user experience there. But also, yeah, the, um, the editorial um, piece of it, like, hey, where does the... Um, uh, headline go on a custom presentation or or what's what's sort of the tone of this overall piece and how custom should it be and um, th- those are all um, variables too um, so like uh, the unbelievable story of rape that Gabe was referencing earlier was a completely custom build that's like fully one off you could think of that maybe as like the well in a magazine like the main the main story that has its own field um, but we also do smaller, um, sort of one-off inline things on daily stories too, that, um, uh, are completely custom, but 
still feel like a daily story. Um, and so that just goes to show the flexibility of the CMS. It's, it's easy to get in there and move a picture, you know, 20 right. pixels to the right if we need to. Um, and so the, there's, um, there's a huge range of, uh, design that we do. Um, yeah, from completely, I see one of the, one of the things that happens on the site is that there's, so it, it, there's, it ranges from an unbelievable story of rape, which you said was completely, I'm sure completely designed, you know, for itself. And then there's like middle ground ones. I see sometimes on the, sometimes on the site you click on an article and it's like, this one is a on dark photo or something, which seems like a variation of a theme, but like different. Yeah, we but have not, a handful of templates. So that's a template. That's an actual post template. And we have the ability to create, you know, create new um, templates. So I think we have like six or seven of them that are just like standing templates. Um, but then we, within those templates, can also add customization. When you think about the unbelievable story, that's a completely empty page where you can um, do anything you want. Um, What's interesting about that is that it lives in the CMS, though. The code for that lives in the CMS. And our graphics rig allows us to, um, you know, build this locally and see what it's going to look like and then push it directly into the CMS. Uh, and then and then part of this is, so th- I mean, these are the, there's stories that you tell and that you research and report and publish and, and a varying scope. And then there's, you know, part of, it sounds like part of this is that you're, you know, you're, the source for criminal justice news, and some of that may not be what you wrote, but what other people have written too. And is that is that what's up with the record or whatever? It's kind of like we should probably be aggregating what other people are saying about criminal justice. Yeah. So part of part of one of the advantage we've talked a lot about the advantage of being a small newsroom, which is being able to grow from the ground up and establish strategy and align that strategy with tech and design and product. There are also editorial challenges. Like when you have a newsroom of six to eight reporters who are primarily working on long form investigations and long term investigations, how do you compete on daily or breaking st- criminal justice stories with places like the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Guardian, all of whom have really stepped up their criminal justice reporting over the last couple of years. And our answer, one of our answers, so was to build our, our editorial focus around investigations, daily news slash commentary and aggregation. Because we figured that if Say another Eric Garner type event were to happen, you know, let's hope it doesn't, but say it were, then we know that we're not going to be able to send somebody to whether it be South Carolina or Missouri or, I mean, since I was in New York, we could probably do that. But we wouldn't be able to compete on breaking stories the same way a lot of the larger sites could. But if we could be known as the go-to place for aggregation and context curation around topics, events, locations, then we can compete in this breaking news environment in a way that people know we might not have the report from on the ground, 
but we'll have aggregated that report, and you'll be able to you look at that news report in the context of perhaps the tremendous investigative story done by another news agency on the same subject. So I'm going to let Ivar and Andy talk a little bit at how the record was built, but that was the goal of the record, is to serve as our aggregation and curation editorial leg to stand on. Probably seems like not a not a lot of other people are doing that, right? It gives me it gives me context. I can look at a section of the record, like South Carolina or something, and get a view of of I don't know all of an aggregated curated selection of links that all have to do with South Carolina, which might help me tell uh, uh, give me some context for a, a news story that happens there, right? Right. I, I think it's a fairly novel idea that I haven't seen. I mean, it's similar in idea to Delicious, if any of you remember Delicious, which was, I think Yahoo owns it now, but a, a bookmarking site that individuals would use. What we took is the idea of Delicious and then democratized it in the sense that anybody in our newsroom can tag and bookmark stories that then flow into a central repository. That's nice. So it is literally hand-curated. It's not like sucking down known RSS feeds that publish about this stuff and trying to categorize them and stuff. It's like you've landed, you as a human being have landed on this website and, and, and believe that it should probably be in the record. So click some bookmarklet or something and, and kind of categorize it right there. Or how does it work? Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Um, you know, we have eight reporters, uh, it's, 18 editorial, like 25 in the company, right? So these are all people that are super engaged with criminal justice, read a lot of criminal justice news, um, just in the course of their their reporting and their their day-to-day knowledge. Um, And so we knew that at the very beginning, uh, just almost two years ago. Um, And we also knew at the beginning that we wanted to do a um, curation-focused email newsletter product. And so from the beginning, we built this tool, which is a bookmarklet, right? You click the bookmarklet, it pops up a new window. There's a React app that runs inside of that. Um, and that allows you to take that link and add tags to it from our central tag database. So whereas some of these bookmarklets are kind of freeform tagging, we actually try to make the, the barrier to entry for tags slightly higher and have kind of a, a way we think about tags internally, about how big and how small they are and things like that. Um, those links are then added to those um, or sorry, tags are added to that link. Um, and so that central database of links then flows into the email product, right? There's actually a tool where you can like pull links into a layout and drag and drop them, and that's how that email is built every morning. Um, that same link database is what feeds the record, right? Where then you can dive in by certain tags and, and roll up by social share count or by recency or things like that, um, what's happening on that uh, on that that record page, but having a human be the one adding it to the to the database is actually a pretty big deal because you know the RSS feeds are not going to give you the same quality of links as um, a criminal justice reporter or someone that works with the Marshall Project, which is that engaged with the issue, saying like, yes, this is worth adding to um, our our database. That's pretty great. That's a CMS at work, you know, especially when the the feeders of that. You know, are are really trustworthy 
experts on on the subject. You know, I could. I, I only wish I could. It makes me want to copy that in some way. You know, like I I've, I write on blogs in which that like you know half of the content is stuff I've written or a writer has written, and then it's interspersed with, you know, here's a link and here's why I think that link is interesting. You know. To kind of uh, spreading that responsibility out over a bunch of people is awesome. That's a great yeah, idea. Yeah, and, and so one like just to get all the way into the technical piece of that, the way our tag system works is a tag can be connected to any model on the Rails app. So we have a post mm-hmm. model, right, which stores all the post stuff. We have a link model, which stores all the link stuff. Obviously, those are separate, have a lot of domain-specific stuff happening on them. But because there's a polymorphic association between the tag and the item, that, that edge is polymorphic on the receiver side, it makes the queries on the record straightforward, right? When you're on a tag, you can pull every model that's attached to that tag in a, in a straightforward way. Whereas if you had a separate link database on a separate app, you could certainly do it, um, but, it but it becomes, you know, like integrating microservices instead of um, building polymorphic relationships within a single SQL database. And again, both both are fine strategies, but for us, the, the way that I knew that we could actually execute these ideas um, and ship them to production in the shortest amount of time is uh, to have structured it the way that it is. Um, and, and hopefully that'll allow us to build on top of these building blocks, right? Rather than have to create more kind of sidecar things and, and connect them. Is it a, I bet people would get a kick out of knowing a little bit more about the kind of the, the front end of, of how it works. Is it, uh, did you go with the, like, JSON endpoint kind of thing? It seems like as you click around, you can be like, open an article no matter where you are, and it just kind of like loads in line and pushes everything else out of the way, which makes it seem like, oh, it must make a, a kind of a request for that article as JSON and template it up and, and smush things out of the way and do a push state on the URL. And it's like, wow, that's fancy. On the post, it stores what the, like the post layout is, like which template to use. And so all the templates are, have the same name right in the file name as what, what they're stored in as the, on the post model. And so when you render a post, it renders like the root. Within that, it makes a call to the matching um, view partial, right? So, like, if you selected base, it will call underscore base.html.erb. If you say, like, feature header, it'll so it, it can dispatch to the correct thing. All of that logic is wrapped in a piece of code that can run outside of a request response, inside of a request response, in a JSON kind of partial reply, in a, like an initial page paint. Um, and so, the way that I got that fast is one, they're publicly cached, but two, when you hover, on the on the promo, it requests the the HTML of the post and puts it in local really? storage and puts it in local storage. Yeah. So then, when you click, um, it's there usually, unless there's something weird happening. Um, and that's helpful on mobile, right? When you when you get there, you have a little bit of a head start on getting that request going. Um, there's there's so many pitfalls and like in terms of latency and, and all of that, but. Because we could architect that to not render as a full page, but to be like, we're going to write a post renderer that can take any post and figure out how to find all of the right pieces um, and put model caching and view partial caching um, at every layer of that. We can generate posts, whether they're fragments or on the whole page, um, very quickly, and we can do so over uh, JSON. Um, it's actually not a JSON endpoint. It's just a 
it's just a get request for that post ID that returns the kind of partial that needs to be flipped out inside of that section tag. Um, one of the, the trickiest thing with that, uh, which I didn't learn until like halfway through building it, was dealing with the back button is quite hard. Mm-hmm. Push state with flipping these promos back and forth between articles is a little bit tricky. Um, the other thing we have to kind of build around is you can have theoretically every post on the site open at the same time, which means all the JavaScript and all the graphics is running at the same time. Um, problem. Well, also like CSS namespacing problems, um, those kind of things. So we have like a custom SCSS box in the post editor that gets automatically injected into a namespace CSS block. So you, when you're doing daily stuff, um, you can just do it and you can't really mess it up. Um, because we can run things kind of concurrently. Um, that's I answered the question and kind of went off to the side. I don't know if that. It's kind of neat. Are you? It's kind of. Have you seen that CSS modules thing? It's kind of like that. Like you just write selectors, but then it namespaces them all to only apply to that particular chunk. So there's no namespacing problems. We're we're moving some components away from that right now to use. So all of the kind of tools that are built into post layout are are look similar to shortcodes, right? Where you're saying use photo this at this kind of layout. So one of the tools that we've been building out in the past few months um, is a local preview copy, right? Where you can run like the exact post template to create a module, like a graphic or an interactive, and then those can be synchronized not to the post directly, but to an embeddable widget, basically. And so then those graphics can be recycled in different places, um, which will also allow us to do fallbacks, right? So if you're trying to render for um, AMP or instant articles, and it says you now need to render graphic 27, um, we can build logic in to fall back to images or iframes or something. Um, and it also gets a lot of HTML out of the post editor, which is problematic for reasons you can imagine. Yeah. Does it does it did it take a minute to like to feel like this was a good idea or did it seem like a good idea all along? I can imagine like, <laughs> like that it, is it like only recently starting to be like, "Ooh, I was right. This really is smart." So, I've I've built things that are like CMSs for a while. Um I have worked with uh I've worked with several different freelance clients formerly. Um, and at my last job, and like I've built stuff that is trying to do content managey kind of things, like a lot. Um, and people always want to override things. And and one attitude to take on that is like, well, we just need to pick some stuff and then stick to it. But in, but that like that's not what we're trying to do here, right? We're trying to do the opposite of that. And and to have the amount of control, um, we knew pretty early on that that we needed to kind of either own the problem or not own the problem. And we decided to own the problem, right? And that's scary because you have to deal with all of this stuff. Um, but, I mean, I, I think to answer your question directly, like, I always kind of knew it was the right thing to do. Otherwise, we're going to have to make so many compromises in the future. Was there a list of like, okay, this is, these are the kind of things that we know we've had to fight against before at previous places. Like, I mean, what are those things? I, I think one of them you, you showed me a while back, which was the like kind of, uh, we want to put peanut butter on a headline kind of thing. And so like most are, you know, there's only one headline on the entire Marshall Project that has a smear of peanut butter on it. Uh, and that's the kind of thing we want to be able to do because it adds something to the story. So, how is that kind of approached? Is that did you have to build something specific just for that, or you like does the CMS know that any on any given post that might be something you want to do? 
There's a peanut butter flag that you can check in the post editor. (laughs) No, I mean, basically a lot of things take HTML, right? We have the benefit of not, like, it's a, for all the nice things we've said about the CMS, like, the CMS is like a programmer CMS, right? Like, there is not a lot of safety net. Like, everyone that works in the CMS um, knows how to code at some level, right? Like, everyone knows, like, it's just a small shop. So if I was trying to build a CMS for a thousand person newsroom, like it would not look anything like what we have. But since we have this unique situation where everyone is a programmer, like, yeah, you can put, you can put HTML into a lot of fields. Like are there downsides to that? Totally. Um, but in the end, like we're, we're not trying to write the most beautiful code or the fastest code or the most unit tested code. We're write, trying to write code that like delivers um, the article experience that, that we want to do. And so, you know, there's a lot of stuff that if we had a huge tech team, like we would make really beautiful and perfect. Um, I'm much more focused on being able to deliver uh, the right storytelling experience than to have, you know, more restrictions around what can go into what box. Um, there's, there's a ton of trade-offs around that, obviously. I think you've always been a little bit um, specific that we all have programming experience because we have an intern who started last week who, who you could say has programming experience. I mean, it is like very basic level programming experience that most journalists are nowadays coming out of college with um, some basic HTML, some very basic Python skills. But she's able to master the content management system within a couple weeks. So it is still extremely user-friendly as compared to every content management system I've ever worked in. That said, when you ask what kind of features it has or what kind of abilities it has that perhaps some of us found limiting at previous shops, what Ivar was talking about is it has a lot of kind of like playgrounds built in. So if I need to insert custom CSS or custom JS or whatever into an article, I can do that at very specific places. Now, when I say at specific places, that means there are specific parts in the form or specific parts on the page. I can insert code. Obviously, that code can affect any part of the say any part of the page or any part of the site. Um, but those kind of thoughtful, well placed, flexible code holes or whatever you want to call them are things that other content management systems don't usually allow. And that gets to the point of what Ivar was talking about is, so the Times or the Guardian, or and I only refer to them because that's where I've worked, so I can speak to some of those. They don't have, especially on the tech side, first of all, I remind you that the tech side at those shops do not report directly to editorial. You know, a lot of times they also report to business, so they have different, different interests. But they also don't have a lot of reason to enable people to do whatever they want on the website because there is such a broad swath of people engaging in the content management system that you end up with a lot of problems. Like the, the more opportunity you give to people to somehow manipulate or you know change the, the site, the more they'll take it. We just have a very small staff and very specific 
stories that we're working on that make that kind of symbiosis work. But at some of these larger places where you have dozens or maybe hundreds of people touching the content management system every day, it becomes very distracting and sometimes even, you know, dangerous in the sense of bad code being dangerous, what they can do with the website at any given point in time. I'm, I'm very interested in this code savvy newsroom. Um, kind of if if you were to grow the Marshall project like double triple the size would you require kind of everyone to have a working knowledge of code when they they come in I, I know a lot of you know publications almost deal with the opposite uh, problem they, they're way more design heavy than they are you know uh, like if you think of magazines or something they're way more design heavy than they are are tech heavy so would that be a requirement to to kind of have a working knowledge of code if you were to come into a windfall of money? (laughs) Yeah, well, may we be so lucky. Um, But no, that definitely wouldn't be a requirement. And I think also what Ivar was alluding to is we're actually pulling back the amount of HTML that sits in any given post. And that's the goal so that people can produce these posts easily um, but while still allowing the flexibility, so if Ivar, Andy, and I wanted to create this really intricate graphic that you know showed the rate of flow of people in and out of jails, we would be able to tell the producer, okay, just use the graphic shortcode, which for people who know shortcodes is literally the word graphic in brackets, and then give it the ID of jail flow and set that between the third and fourth paragraph. And I mean, literally, honestly, nowadays with the kind of education these, most of these kids are getting at J schools, they can come out and easily do that. So it's more designing a very flexible content management system. That way, if we did have somebody come in who is super well-versed in programming, whether it be interactive or, you know, backend or whatever it might be, they can also plug in into the content management system in ways that we've thought about, we've planned for contingencies, we've planned around all these ideas, um, but also amount for what I think is a really broad amount of flexibility. So to walk you, like, through how a, how a, a story becomes a... URL. Um, we we have a like all this that we've been talking about. The way this works is very much a, a function of the velocity of what we post and how it's developed and, and those kind of things. So no matter how it starts, posts eventually become Google Docs. Um, eventually, that that's final, right? And it's like okay, we are ready for this to go and be produced. Um, if it's something that has ongoing graphics, something that has like a significant non-text component. There'll be a draft post. We're working with that, but at some point, the post is like, "Cool, we're ready, we're ready to go with this." We publish um, one thing a day, roughly, so there isn't a lot of volume on that. And then we have a tool in the CMS that takes a Google Doc and turns that HTML output into Markdown, which is how they're stored internally um, in Edra. And so that process takes seconds, right? The, the tool is not perfect, but it does a good job. Um, if it has to have photos produced, it has to have graphics inserted. Like that's adding short codes. Um, so the amount of time that it actually is being edited in the CMS is pretty short. Um, all the kind of 
how it's thought about and how it's structured, that's happening obviously as the story is being developed. But there's not a lot of kind of like, let's go into the CMS and like start editing the story. Uh, that, that doesn't happen at a, at a large scale. Uh, and so, for instance, reporters and editors um, to basically don't use the CMS. We have people that produce posts, whether they're like programmers or not. They're they're familiar with the way the system works enough that they don't um, that it doesn't need to have the kinds of things that uh, you would for a CMS that reporters are writing directly into, for example. Hello, dear Shop Talk Show listeners. You can promote your product or service on Shop Talk Show just like I'm doing right this second. There is but one way to do that, and that is to sponsor an episode. The only advertising we do on Shop Talk Show is sponsored spots in episodes. You can go to shoptalkshow.com slash advertising to get the lowdown on that, like how you book a spot and how much it costs and basic analytics and stuff like that. We would love to work with you and promote your product or service. Uh, just happened to have kind of an open spot this week, and when we do that, I promote one of my own products. Gosh darn it. Uh, and in fact, I just redesigned codepen.io slash pro that explains all of the pro features of CodePen that really unlock the full power of CodePen. There are lots of features of CodePen that are only available to pro members because, you know, that's how the freemium model works. <laughs> Check that out. Hopefully uh, it compels you to, 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 to upgrade your CodePen account. One of the ones I use almost every day is uh, asset hosting, which is like I'm just working in CodePen and need to use an image in something I'm building. I just drag and drop an image onto CodePen. It uploads it, gives me a URL that I can use within that pen. Super easy, super fast, super useful. I, I I'm like very impressed with this site, both the design and and just the quality of the news. Um, I I personally feel like finding quality news is, is sort of like diving in a dumpster for food. <laughs> you, you kind of uh, have to dig to find something decent. What uh, was kind of being like a a, a well designed a low barrier entry point or for like a summary of what's happening in or like the state of criminal justice, was that, was that your primary goal uh, for the site or, or is that sort of a byproduct byproduct of, of some other value or, and then is that something you'd scale out to another vertical like politics or, or fixing local news? Cause I feel like they could benefit from a lot of the, the lessons you've learned was making, what was, I guess the, the original goal of, of the, the project in terms of, of, how you wanted users to view the site. I guess I would just say we wanted them to have the best experience possible with a knowing of the few constraints. One constraint around criminal justice that you might not be familiar with if you're not very familiar with the subject is that it's a hard subject to engage in visually. And the reason why is because most jails and prisons are not interested in letting photographers or videographers inside. So a lot of the system is out of bounds for the traditional approaches to visual storytelling. All of which is to say we knew that the site needed to look good with not much art. That was one of the constraints that we were aware of at the beginning. So a lot of time and energy went into choosing fonts and choosing and like 
having many arguments over white space and how much room is enough room and what makes it an enjoyable reading experience and how is this going to look if it doesn't have art and things like that. Um, and then, Andy, maybe you want to talk a little bit about some of the visual inspiration. Yeah, sure. Um, so the site is largely inspired by sort of the idea of stationary and, and legal documents um, in the in the era which Thurgood Marshall operated in, in courtrooms um, in the 1950s and 60s. Um, and so uh, it, you know, we're, we're really trying to have a, a classical look. We also have um, our monospace typeface, which is GT Prashura, um, is a uh, um, one that's becoming more popular. Um, but it, it it's it's trendy right now, and uh, it also ha- feels kind of like a typewriter font. Um, so it, it it has the um, it has the echo back to that that era. Um, so uh, it, it's really got a um, it's it's design has roots in um, the the content the subject area and, and um, is really inspired off of that. And then I guess the other part of it was just best practices in journalism right now. You know, so Andy and Ivar both have spent a lot of time both building and consuming the news. Uh, as of I, we looked at sites like Quartz. We looked at sites like the New York Times, like a variety of beautiful, interesting sites. We talked with them about the pros and cons of say, devoting a lot of energy to the article experience versus the homepage versus the social channels. So something to think about. A lot of people, certainly 10 years ago when they were talking about news site design, focused a tremendous amount of energy on how the homepage would look. What we have come to learn, certainly over the past couple years, but it's been a trend for several years now, is the homepage actually is not a very high traffic page when compared to article pages. And so a lot of people call that coming in through the side door. And a lot of that had to do with the growth of social media. So before social media, the most natural way to find out what was going on was you would go to maybe the New York Times homepage and look at what they were promoting as the top stories. Nowadays, a lot of consumers of news get their news through social, which is, say, Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, what might, whatever you might be engaged in. But that means you're generally going right to an article page. And because, because of that, we've seen our traffic, which I believe is similar to a lot of the industry, is something like 90% of people are coming to the Marshall Project through an article page, and 10% of people are coming to the homepage. So we knew that the, the homepage is important, but the real focus should be on the article page. And that's why you see our article page is actually the homepage, but instead of the what we call the feature block, which is the set of promoted stories that sit on top of the stream, we have a post. So our article page and our homepage are actually very similar. And the goal of that is to keep people engaged in our content, to have them see our most recent stories as soon as they finish a previous story. And so I would just, I guess I'm just saying that 
previous experiences and the very thoughtful and helpful knowledge of several of our friends helped us hew towards best practices while trying to embody this aesthetic of 40s, 50s, 60s Supreme Court. That's cool. Um, I'm I'm out of questions, I, but I am very... I love this focus on content and I love just the, yeah, that, that design aesthetic where you're kind of tying it into the subject matter. I love that. The last thing I'd say on that is, um, you know, it's, and I, I praise Gabe and Andy enough probably, but I'll continue to is that kind of design, which is not just aesthetic, but like, how do we think about user experience? How do we think about aesthetic design? Um, those are things that, are totally integrated into the way that this place works. Like that's a first class concern. Um, and that's ultimately why the site looks the way it does. Um, and it's, it's awesome to have design be this at the same level, um, as graphics and, and interactive and, and words. Uh, thank you, uh, so much for coming on. Uh, we, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's really great to hear about a project like this, um, that, that, uh, like you said, it is it involves like 2.2 million people in the criminal justice system just here in America. So, um, thank you for all your hard work and covering that and, and hopefully helping people get out of a tight jam. And, um, yeah, but before we go, maybe, uh, if people aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? We'll go around, um, and, uh, uh make sure, uh, everybody's gets the shop talk boost on your Twitter followership. Uh, we'll start with Evark. So go to the marshallproject.org and click on donate in the nav on Twitter. I'm Evar Vong, I V A R V O N G. I'm a Rossback, a R O S S B A C K. Yeah. I'm just Gabriel dance, G A B R I E L dance. And as Evar was saying, we're completely nonprofit. And so we're based all on fundraising and we get some of that from foundations. We get some of that from, very wealthy individuals, and we get a lot of that from people like you, me, your friends, your brothers, sisters. So I appreciate the opportunity, and if criminal justice does uh, is part of your life, is something you're engaged with, we encourage you to come to our site. If you find the news is of the quality and the standards that you think is helping encourage a robust conversation, then no donation is too small. And even if you can't donate, we totally appreciate you reading and sharing any kind of articles you might be interested in. All right. Well, great. Thank you so much. And thank you, uh, Shop Talk listener, for downloading this. And your podcatcher of choice, be sure to star heart, favorite it up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter for tens of tweets over at Shop Talk Show uh, on the Twitter sphere. And uh, if you hate your job, head over to shoptalkshow.com slash jobs and get a brand new one because lots of people want to hire people of your skill and i uh, think that's gonna do it for us uh thank you for listening chris uh sure uh just that and shoptalkshow.com <laughs>